welcome to La Cella Lightworkers podcast, where we discuss holistic healing and energies, as well as alternative therapies, meditations, the great awakening, and peace education. Enjoy practical tips for your ascension, and let's get ready for new earth together. So welcome to this episode of La Cella Lightworkers podcast. Now this week is a very exciting week as we're actually talking to Jamie Jackson, who is a horse hoof care lecturer, a researcher on wild and domestic horse hooves. He is an award-winning author of such famous books, including The Natural Horse, Paddock Paradise, The Natural Trim and Zoo Paradise, just to name a few. Now, Jamie is actually a pioneer for the barefoot movement with domestic horses and has influenced hundreds, perhaps thousands of horse guardians to change the way that they care for their horses. So from the bottom of our heart, Jamie, we actually want to start by thanking you for your work, because I know that the horses are truly, truly eternally grateful. And we as horse guardians are grateful too. So a global ambassador for a healthful horse and a healthful hoof. I welcome Jamie Jackson. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being with this us. opportunity to, to, to talk with you. Okay. Thank you so much. And with me, I have my co-host for today, Michelle. She is a horse guardian. So I'm hoping she can, you know, add some flavor and, you know, about the horse education and stuff that we've done with our horses as well. Very so, good. Very good. Hello, Michelle. Please Hi there. Hi. <laughs> so I'm going to start off by asking really um, a little bit about your own journey. So for someone that's new to this and that's new listening, we would like you to tell us a little bit about your, maybe your aha moment or what was the trigger, your heartfelt, you know, trigger that inspired you to achieve from being a farrier to a global horse ambassador and author in this movement that that's you know that's, that's a good question um interesting one the uh i'm actually writing a book about how i got involved with horses in the first place it's sort of a bridge to my first book uh, the natural horse uh, lessons from the wild which i wrote way back in the 1980s and um People don't know that I never had anything to do with horses until after I got out of the, the U.S. Army in 1970, and it was a few years after that. I ne- I've never even saw a horse, <laughs> to tell you the oh, truth. Wow, where wow. I, where I was living, uh, there, it was uh, no one in the neighborhood in the area could afford one, so they just weren't around, so I had no uh, no knowledge of them uh, wild or domestic uh, except maybe what i saw on tv back in the 1950s <laughs> and uh, so uh there's been a lot of questions about how did i get in not only a transition from being a farrier to uh what i do now but just how i got involved with horses so i thought all right i'm writing a book and actually it's written and now i have to go through the editing process of making sure that what I'm saying is what I 
meant to say. <laughs> so that book is called uh, Horse Trek, T-R-E-K, uh, Into the Mystic. It's a very, very uh, mystical experience how it all happened. Why would, how would I get involved with horses? So th this book discusses all that. And eventually uh, I spent a couple of years on horseback <clears throat> following this vision that I had, a very profound one. And, um, and that eventually uh, led me to, into the world of horses. And, uh, and from there, uh, if you're going to ride a horse, sooner or later you have to deal with the hooves, right? So I was pretty athletic to begin with. So I began to learn and then I learned with different farriers and I did some, a little bit of formal training. And then uh, that sort of got me going with that for, oh, probably about five years, six years until uh, I then wild horses became, uh, became aware of them. And one thing led to the next, and I find myself in wild horse country. Hmm. And that began in 1982. So uh, there was a bit of a journey that got me to that point. But um, the once once I was in, in the company of these animals uh, living in the wild and the, in the United States, a great basin, uh, that's that was just a very profound experience. And I thought, the best way I can explain that to people is through this new book, um, Horse Trek. That sounds incredible, that book. Yeah. I really actually can't we'll wait put for our order in to come out. Very, very spiritual yeah. work. I, oh, I've spent I love a it. couple of years working on it and, uh, and it uh, uh, probably the most difficult thing I've ever written, but uh, I hope maybe the most interesting thing I've written. We'll see. <laughs> Sometimes things that that are that come from your vision and your experience and your your heart, they are the hardest thing to explain because there's nothing technical or mechanical about it. Um, but usually they are the most enthralling ones, especially to be read. I would say. Right. Uh, uh, for me, it was there again. There was this clash between what I saw among the wild ones. This this beautiful reality of soundness and uh you know great vitality versus what i had been dealing with in a range of disciplines as a farrier and it was that um inspiration that led me into this thing i call nhc natural horse care natural hoof care nice going back to one of your um your previous books um I think it was one, it was in the natural horse. I can't remember which one. I think it's the natural horse. And, and also in one of your videos, you were talking about the huge gap between the approach to taking care of domestic horses between the vet and the farrier. Um, and we were, it started us thinking is that, is there something that could be created I mean even even I'd say from the current barefoot trimming world in this country even that seems to be varied in approach at the moment as well so there's almost all these huge amount of information that has been filtered through all these different disciplines but it doesn't seem to be coming together is there something we could um, kind of show or create or 
give to people that would say, look, this is the best way of educating them even. And we, one of the things that I thought we would um, ask you is, um, would it be something with the way that we've all been living on Zoom and stuff that you would be able to have a kind of an online course for um, just horse owners rather than the people that wanted to trim or to wanted to be vets or farriers, something that they would start to understand on a very simple level. Uh, uh, another great question, and the answer to that is yes, we're actually creating a, a new program, which will be just about that, learning, learning about the principles, okay. the foundational uh, understandings uh, that are, you know, th that lie at the very, the very gist of, of NHC. Mm. So um, uh, I've been, my partner in all this, Jill Willis, she is actually writing that up. we toss ideas back and forth so that is that is forthcoming that should be Brilliant. right down the path that you're that you're talking about may, may i make one other comment of course back in uh when i entered wild horse country there none of this existed right mm -hmm. there was no language that we use today there was no barefoot movement there was no idea of, of a natural horse based on this uh, wild horse paradigm no. It all had to be created, and so I struggled. Uh, was it was quite the struggle to develop <clears throat> not even a, an awareness to others, but to understand myself what was happening. So eventually, uh, I was able to write this first book after going through 180 rejections from publishers who just wow. would wow. not have any part of it. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. And 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 the horse fold itself was very uh, the traditional magazines that yeah. that were back then uh, wanted no part of it. And so uh, I found myself rather alone in the whole thing and but unwilling to give up. Thank I knew you. I was onto something good. <laughs> and so I just, you know, persisted. Amazing. Well, thank you for persisting. <laughs> We're going to be sitting here right now. And I was just thinking what you said about um, you don't know how you ended up doing what you did originally way back in those 1980s. I was just thinking, I don't know how I ended up here either. <laughs> I don't know how I ended <laughs> up herd of horses. Yeah. with this herd of horses and, and talking to you on a zoom call. And I just don't know, but it has been an absolutely awesome journey. And it still is. And I'm another observation, if I can make it. Yeah. The I'm the sort of person that um, I, if I have an insight or some information, I will put it out there, mm -hmm. and the best way that I I can, and people can accept it, they can reject it, they can retool it, they can do whatever they please. It's mm -hmm. I'm like a messenger. That was the spiritual journey. Is that mm -hmm. in the end? That's all I am. I'm really just a simple person dealing with complex things. And, and so I count on my fellow human beings to take the torch and do the best they can with it. Um, so I, I don't like to meddle. You know, if people want to try it another way, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, as in Paddock Paradise. I just stand back and, and watch, you know, and someone comes to me with a question, I'll do what I can to, 
to help. But uh, that's sort of, and I get a lot of criticism that from people that work with me. Why don't you speak out more, Jamie? I said, well, haven't I? <laughs> You have. <laughs> I've spoken you, enough. You I have. Think. You have. But that <laughs> through the work. That is always just how um, people filter things through themselves to assimilate it themselves, and then usually they have to come back to the the source of it and see that okay, I've tried it all my way, so this is how it's supposed to be, and this is why it was first started this way because it works. I mean, I think that's why we have to retrain in fundamentals all of the time because we lose track of what really, really works in anything in life. And I think what you've set, you've set the bar so high, thank God that you have, um, that we all need to fiddle about and then just, oh, you know, we need to come back to this standard, this standard, this mm. standard, because... I'm sure you'll come up with more and more and each time each one of us has to step up our standard of care in as we have to have something to achieve. Me, me, me too, though. I, I hold myself to the to that original standard. I and there's a great struggle that goes on within me all the time to to, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with the well-being of another living entity, this horse. And so when I write something that weighs very heavily on me, that that what I what I'm going to say is not going to bring harm to the animal. There's a tremendous responsibility that I feel in, in, in all of that, uh, so that your listeners understand. You know, it's, to me, it's a very serious thing. At the same time, it's a very illuminating experience for people. So I've thought about uh, coming to the UK and maybe going around Europe and just meeting with people and seeing what they're doing and asking, you know, if there's anything I could do to help in some way uh, on what, because people are doing different things within this realm of NHC. And uh, you're really the first, uh, the first, uh, uh, people to come forward and ask me to, to talk like this here in in recent years. So I thought maybe I will do this and uh, and maybe uh, come out from behind the come out of the shadows. We've got a space in um, our shop when I thought oh, maybe when we've um, done this, we could put some of your videos off of YouTube onto there and just show because we have sure. so many people that own horses sure. that come to us that we could just show them and just get them start them thinking. And obviously, with this as well, um, it's yeah. just when it just gets out there, people just flood to it because they get it, they actually get it when they see the difference it makes in the horses. I mean, we've just seen our own um, horses. I mean, I, I sometimes get concerned I'm not doing enough so then I have to come back and read my books yeah, yeah. Basic, <laughs> come on Jamie read the books back to basics back to the basics so let's actually can we just backtrack a little bit because sure. for some people that are new to this we are racing ahead here as if we we're speaking to our listeners as if they already know about the track system they already know what this paradox uh, paradise movement is and we're assuming that most people or already doing the natural way of living. Now, we know with our experience in the UK, most of the horse owners are 
um, completely thinking that they know. And this has a lot to do with, we're understanding with the ego, um, with a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world right now, it is, it's like an unlearning. So we have to unlearn everything we thought we knew about how to look after and care for and be a guardian for these beautiful ethereal creatures. And we have to re-educate ourselves with this new way. And you, I feel, we both feel are, the starting point you are the pinnacle you are the master of this area and if we're going to start back at the beginning can we just do maybe a brief explanation of what the paddock paradise is and the guide to a natural horse boarding so maybe an overview of the book and then obviously we'd recommend they go and read the book okay um i just want to make one other comment that uh that you know i've been asked to give talks all around the planet and I thought, you know, I don't really like to give talks, but what I love to do are Q and A's like this. Um, then I can talk with the, with the person you see yeah. and exchange, they, you know, and, and sort of wherever, wherever they happen to be at. So if we're gonna back up, for example, talk about Paddock Paradise and maybe what, how that came about, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Genesis, so to speak, is that? Is that something that would be of interest? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, there's there's another parallel thing. It was like on to get to the natural trim was a uh, was both a horrifying experience <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and a very uh, welcoming one at the same time. The paradox. So what I did was I took what I understood and I had to dismantle a lot of it things that I was doing to the to the hoof and replace it. But to find my way to what I was going to, to where I needed to go was that was quite the journey. So it's always been a process of taking information that was in my head and discarding it and then refilling it in. So when I stepped into Wild Horse Country, it was a massive uh, sudden awareness that I just sort of cried out in the night. I said, you know, I, I am ready to learn. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And, and so, uh, and then it gets complicated at that point because we have all these uh, archetypes functioning around in our head that we picked up along the way. Mm-hmm. And a, lot, a lot of misinformation, a lot of mythological stuff and on and on. We have to kind of somehow push that back and, and dispense with it and replace it. And, so Paddock Paradise was the, the concept, as a concept, came out of Wild Horse Country. Um, many people have gone into Wild Horse Country and would not see it. For some reason, uh, this calling that came upon me compelled me to see it. And there it was. There it was. Their, their migrational habits, what they did, this and that, all the different things. The hoof slipped into the background very quickly because I was entranced by the, the, the dynamics of the lifestyle. The hooves are just a consequence of that, you see. Mm. So back and forth, I would go from the hoof to the lifestyle, from the hoof to the behavior, to this, to that, back and forth, back and forth. It's a continuous process. And... Um, so the horses move around from one place to the next. It's very highly organized. 
I'm one, I'm a Taurus. And so routines are very important to me. And so <laughs> we guess that. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. I'm, I'm up every morning at four with uh, yeah. my coffee. Wow. And then I, then I play the coffee. guitar. Yeah. And then I, then I do my exercises and then, um, and then I deal with reality. Okay. Yeah. So the, once I saw Paddock Paradise, now the question was, how do I, how do I explain that to others mm. when it, when it doesn't exist, right? Mm. It was this doesn't exist anywhere. So that was a tough one, and I struggled with that for a good fifteen years. Before I just decided, okay, I'm giving up talking about it. I'm going to write a book about it, and uh, so I did. So it sprang out of the pathing networks that you see in Wellhurst country to how can we do that and to change the lives of horses living in captivity so they can move together in, in groups. Uh, very important. Mm. Does, that, does that make sense or am I? Yeah, absolutely. So and if you want to explain what you think the core principles of the Paddock Paradise are, the, the, the core principles uh, come from what I call the four pillars of, of NHC. Uh, the natural boarding concept, which is paddock paradise, which connects to the diet, right? Which is another one. Then the hooves, right? Because we have to deal with those. Yeah. And then if we're going to ride the horse, how is that going to, do we want that to interfere complement somehow paddock paradise so all these things connect together so paddock paradise is really uh, it strings together many 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 things but the way i see it it's a it's a passage a pathway into the into the ancient story of the animal and so uh i tried to accommodate those things that are so important to them the way they would eat, what they would eat, where they will go to eat, you know, uh, what they're going to do along the way uh, to uh, care for their hooves in the best of the way by letting nature uh, shape them, grind them, and mm. uh, the way they do in the wild. Okay, so those are the core principles where we we would be interacting with the animal and how can we uh, best provide for them in a natural, uh, a simulated wild habitat. Absolutely. So what we're dealing with in the UK, and I mean, there are so many track systems being set up now just in our area. And it's so exciting to see your movement grow and people to learn and educate themselves more and more. But it still seems there are people that are stuck in the old I mean, I think it's to do with something to do with the monarch and the system, well, the old system and the structures and this military um, thing, you know, things like dressage and that kind of the UK way of riding is absolutely horrific. And I've never um, associated with it at all, but observing it and then seeing the natural way is just it's worlds apart. And we're trying to bring the two worlds together, I guess, and educate that side and just say, look, you 
can have you can ride your horse you can care for your horse but if it's you know if you're going to go out and buy a horse for your toddler and this is what we've seen firsthand and you've not you know spent time with it you're not giving it its basic needs like hay and water and movement and other horses and communication and then you plop your kid on that and it bucks you off and then you go I'll oh, get rid of it that is the type of thing we're dealing with um over here a lot and I'm sure it's the same worldwide but I've because we're surrounded by it I guess we are we're like we want help we want to show them well um, just, it's just so that I'm gonna laugh because now you're suffering right along with me now <laughs> <laughs> we've taken the burden already we have <laughs> We get to share. We get to share in our misery. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's just the reality. Yeah. But things are happening all over. I'm usually the last to hear about them, by the way. Okay. Oh. So, uh, but I know I get I get communications from people um, telling me that they're doing this and they're doing that, and we're so grateful. And, and you'll never hear from me again. They'll say, <laughs> okay, they're happily doing it on their own wherever yeah. they're at. And, uh, and I just sort of smile and say, that's good. You know, uh, it's good. Uh, but it is frustrating, the, the, the conventional structures that are there are still there, you know? And how, does, how do we introduce these alien ideas that come from some mysterious place in the, in the, in the, in the ancient wilderness of the animal? Yeah. Um, so we try. Mm. I think models are good where that we create something that someone can come and see. Yeah. Right. They can come and see it and say, oh, oh, that's that's what the bloke Jamie Jackson was talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Right. So uh, there's a bit of that. Uh, we were running uh, the first paddock paradise that I was involved with back in California. And uh, it was a great learning place for me. I could, because it was such rugged ground, I could experiment. I could look at homeostatic changes in the hooves. I could look at how the Mustang roll forms when we trigger it a particular way, all sorts of technical little stuff. And the evolution of the, the hay bags and paddock paradise, the all these different things, uh, to, and so people would come, and and uh, they would invariably stare at the hooves, and they would, they would, they would do this look of consternation on their face. What what am I looking at? Yeah, I'd say yes. It's very weird, isn't it? Because it doesn't resemble anything that you've seen before. But this is what nature has intended right mm -hmm. here in front of you. Getting there is a bit of a journey. But if you want to take it, go for it. And uh, so lots of in, lots of discussions on that track up there, which went on for it was quite long around it and steep in places and gravel everywhere. Uh, people would say, well, some people would say, well, my horse could never do this. Uh, and I said, well, yeah. why? Because, because he would fall over. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. they, under, they really underestimate, I think, the power and the um, ability, the evolution of these 
horses as well don't they I think there's almost like a <laughs> it's they're treated like human babies and mm. I think in I don't know what it's like in other countries but so many times because it seems to be more women own horses than men yeah um for whatever reason someone said it's because most women that own horses are very vulnerable and they like to spend time with the horses because they are very feeling they are let's, they do let's, let me interject are. right there this because you've really hit on an important thing you start talking about women yeah okay because i pioneered something else okay most horse owners are women yeah, the vast majority, and they care about their their horses, mm -hmm. so they're sort of the first ones to arrive. And I would say, you can do this. You mean I can I can do the hooves? I said, yeah, I will teach you. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to teach you how to do it. You can do it, and you'll do it very very well. And so that's how that started. It was like uh -huh. these women want to learn, yeah. and they're the the true pioneers from the the. I just helped them the best I could. And I'd say, you know, you, you can't use that tool. I can't even do a good trim using that tool. You can have <laughs> they to. are big tools. <laughs> so you, you gotta, you gotta get the right tools. And so that, that evolved into my little store where I can make sure people are going to get the right tool mm -hmm. to do the job and no, no other stuff. You don't need a lot of the junk, but you will need these. And, uh, you know. So do you, do you um, when you say the right tools, I mean, for me, I did um, a week of um, training with um, a lady that was training us to become what she called barefoot trimmers. Okay. And um, the rasp, which is huge and has to balance in a certain way was difficult. But then I found that on your website, there was something called a radius rasp, I think. And that seemed an awful lot easier to be able to handle with when you've got small hands. Is that how it is? Or is it just it's only time? The, the, is that the, how the... it is? Or do you just need to learn how to use those? <laughs> the, the tools, the, the, the different tools do different things to different parts of the hoof. Now here, here's here's one I'll let you chew on, okay? The flat rasp, like the traditional farrier's rasp, you know, with a handle on the end that's very long, right? And you, yeah. So my rule now is never ever apply it to the bottom of the hoof. Oh, okay. Okay, because it just can't do the job it needs to be done. So it's a tool that we use elsewhere but not on the bottom of the hoof. That took me a while to get to that. It, it wasn't just all of a sudden came overnight. I had to work my way to that understanding. So, so I'm telling people, use the flat rasp on the bottom of the hoof this way, blah, 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 for years. And all of a sudden I stopped and I said, don't use it at all. Okay. okay. And so you, 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 Jamie, I get this all the time. You tell us, you bring us all the way to do this and then you're not there anymore. You're over there doing it over there. And I said, that's right, let's oh, go. Evolution. Go right. So uh, so the tools that uh, I have on my on my website, the radius rasp prepare the Mustang roll a particular way. The flat rasp can be used for initiating it a certain way from above on the on the what we call the grip head of a hoof stand. The uh, the sander, the sander that we call the HB1. It does, it's 
thing to simulate natural wear. Everything is about getting the hoof organized to beat the ground, to stimulate through the growth uh, mechanism side, the, the, uh, the innervation network mm -hmm. to respond to what we do. And the more rigorous the paddock paris environment, the more it responds in, 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 in this beautiful, incredible way. So at, at our paddock paradise, I never trim the soul and I never trim the frog ever oh. in eight years wow. because, well, that's another big discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. The the uh, the the point being that the tools have specific purposes, and and so you need to learn what those are, and yeah. then how to wield the tool in order to achieve the uh, the response from this living entity. It's an organ that responds to the environment. That includes us. <laughs> yeah. Trimming it. Yes. Absolutely. But I feel like we, you're giving us little gold nuggets here as well. So gold nuggets of information regarding obviously the products. And this is going to push anyone who is, you know, thinking about or on the fence about trimming their own horses and stepping away from the farrier and doing the course with Jamie, then this is your sign. This is the sign to, to take that leap and your horse will thank you for it. So just coming back, let's circle back a little bit to, you know, the, the basic needs of a horse. When we're dealing with horses that are, I mean, for example, pieces of land we've been on before, you turn up and it's tiny little bits of land, very muddy grass everywhere. And they are postage stamp pieces of land sectioned off with one horse in each section, just on grass. And constantly we get told, cause we rock up with the herd, you know, they're all rescue, they're all chilling out as a family. And they, we create the track and we put them on hay, you know, 24 seven, 365, you know, waters here. They have to walk, work for their food. Even the old ones, <laughs> they kind of slowly yeah. make their way around. <laughs> right. Um, and they watch us in awe and they're like, what are they doing? And they actually, we've had comments that that's cruel. What are you doing? Why are you not giving them grass? The grass is lush in the UK at the minute. It's so sweet. That's all they need. So why do horses not need grass purely? And why do they need access to food 24 seven? Hey, particular. <laughs> <laughs> You want me to respond to that? Grazing, <laughs> um, it's called, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, there we're getting into the, the diet pillar of NHC. Mm -hmm. what, what, uh, what, what do horses eat naturally in the wild? That research hasn't been done in wild horse country. Biologists, botanists, teams of scientists should be out there doing that research. I've been saying that since 1982. Okay, mm. and they've not arrived yet. It's like looking at the teeth. What do you know? All these things connect to to diet. So uh, along the way, I began to experiment with thing feeding horses things that I felt would not lead to uh, an inflammatory responses across the horse's body. And here I'm talking about laminitis. So uh, I come up with come up with some things that seem to work and work actually work quite well. And uh, so 
there's been a lot of discussion between myself and others about this. So we've come up with what we consider to be a relatively safe, relatively natural diet. All the micronutrients and stuff that would uh, need to go into a horse in the right concentrations and the right amounts, that research has yet to be done. So it's, it's, that's an exciting thing that that can that we can do that that can be done. Just looking at, like at parasite uh, uh, parasites in in horses and, and in the wild, and uh, there's some indication that they're there in balance. They're supposed to be there for and but that again the it's almost secreted information that we need to uh, unravel, bring it out of the wild, and and let people, um, qualified scientists, in, in, you know, look at it very closely and, uh, you know, get in, get involved with this and all of this. I think it, there's a huge need for it. And, uh, you know, I deal with laminitis issues uh, all the time with people that are, have fed their horses in such a way, putting them onto grass that is, rich in, uh, in, in, in sugar that causes a, 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 dis, a disturbance in the, uh, in the digestive tract of the horse, which leads to an infection, a massive infection that travels uh, through the vascular system to various parts of the horse and then erupts in epidermal and even internal organ damage. The hooves are an obvious place because when the inflammation occurs there, the horse can't walk mm. or the hooves wow. might even fall off. All sorts of terrible things can happen. So uh, that brings us back into paddock paradise mm. and into the things we know now that we should be doing, that we can do in the paddock paradise environment to preclude uh, what I call a whole body, a whole horse inflammatory disease. Wow. So I was just thinking, I mean, when um, I, I mean, we often we have a lot of rain here in the UK. So especially this year, we've had a lot of rain and a lot of sun. So the grass has grown so fast. And I, I watch our horses and I watch them. They've got um, any amount of hay they could possibly want. It's tons of it all over the place. But they still decide to put their head underneath a fence and try to eat the grass that's on the other side. And if they can get out and get onto that long, sweet grass, they would do that in a moment. Do you think that they've become kind of like sugar addicts or something along the way, something that they, or they just want to have it because it's so nice to eat? Even you mean like people? Yeah, 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 like let's have some candy. Yeah, yeah I know what I want. Right. Do you think that's right. what it is? Or do they need I think- it? There, there's, uh, again, the when we get to the level of micronutrients, there's more than, they're going to need more than just hay. Mm-hmm. So you might refer to the our diet recommendations on the on our AANHCP website. The, uh, the uh, we have s- some recommendations that do, that do work. Okay. So they're going to continue to try and get out there if, if they can. Now in our paddock paradise where we implemented these dietary things, they had no interest in going out there. Wow, okay. And for, the, for much of the track, there was no external fence either. They stayed on their track. Wow. Okay. 
because what they needed and the idea of, of the pathing system is very important because that is integral to their their native biology lifestyle mm. remember that's so that's yeah. something important to keep in there so i think on the diet front we have to keep them out of grasses that are uh, not of the great basin type there's going to be trouble okay yeah. and uh, laminitis is epidemic yeah it's it's really a pandemic because we are we are creating a a biological system that's alien to the horse's digestive system we're 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 uh, infecting the animals and so the uh, so it's like everywhere around the it's not just in the UK it's everywhere all over the place and in huge numbers, the horses that are, and many of the horses are at a sort of a subclinical level and the owners don't even know it, don't know the subclinical signs, which is why I wrote the book, uh, Laminitis, A Plague, mm -hmm. to help people uh, trying to understand uh, what is happening. Because if it reaches the clinical, the clinical levels, then we're talking uh, potential catastrophic results. Yeah. Uh, we don't want that to happen. No, no, definitely not. Okay. So what about if we're talking back to the track system again and the whole idea based yeah. on your um, research that you did in the basin? And um, again, let's bring it back to the extreme opposite of this stabling horses and caging them and locking them up at night and putting them to bed and box rest, um, for example, by the vets what let's look at the polar opposite of that and what was your understanding on your learning from your education of that well you know i've i faced that in the beginning uh, that's what i i witnessed uh and so when i was confronted with the the antithesis of that wild horse country the, the question is again what do you do about it and uh, because there's a lot of uh, what we call anthropomorphic behavior that's going on in the horse world that, you know, these are my babies and I'm going to treat them like babies. My, my children, I'm going to feed them, I'm going to house them, I'm going to tuck them in at night and blankets, all these different things that uh, we really ought not to be doing, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and, and horse hunters are easily offended when you challenge that. Mm. They, they, get, they might cry, they yell at you accuse you of terrible <laughs> things. Uh, you're mean you know and it's probably women <laughs> yelling yeah, at you i told you vulnerable women that own horses exactly you 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 might have done that to me at one time okay yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh but now other people can take the heat besides just me yeah. so uh that you know you again i think i go back to the idea of models where people can come they can see, they can ask their questions. Mm -hmm. They can say, well, why isn't your horse dead? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how can he live out here like this? Mm. You know, and, and, and yeah. why don't they have the problems that, that my horse does? You yeah. know, so that's what we're dealing with. It's, uh, we need some paradigm shifts going on in the, uh, understanding rule. Now, the UK government could 
can be very helpful by not making it so difficult for people to use their land in this very unusual way, right? Yeah. And so I, I hear complaints about that, to say the least. And uh, so uh, I, I would be more than glad to talk with, you know, officials about this. I'll, yeah. I'll send some to the local councils and governments once this recording's up. <laughs> we'll be okay. So, yeah, I, I will say one, I, I had this really bizarre conversation with um, a horse owner a few years back um, after we'd been to a Pat Pirelli um, event in Birmingham. Yeah, we'll ask you what you think of that in a uh, moment. And, um, <laughs> but I will say it's part of my journey, Pat Pirelli and his love language and leadership. I'm not there now, but it was part of our journey of our trying to understand the best way to care and for our horse at that time. Um, but I said, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if in the UK, because it is just a little island, basically, we had an incredible bridal network where all of the horses could safely move around the whole of the UK. Collaboration. Um, and her answer was, I'd never find my horse. <laughs> and I said, well, of course you wouldn't, but there would always be a horse on its way around. And it's not your horse, and by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it would give up that whole thing of ownership. mothering and ownership. And um, oh. maybe one day, who knows? But that would... That's your vision. That's my vision. She's so. a visionary. <laughs> A bit like yourself, <laughs> or a dreamer, oh, whatever dreamer. you want to call it. I finally put my ideas about natural horsemanship into a book that I just finished called Navicular Syndrome. Okay. And, and uh, because I never took riding lessons when I started on the horse journey, so I learned, learned from, from horses that I was riding, and I just paid attention to what they were you know, kind of where their heads were at. <laughs> mm. And, uh, and so, um, so I put in the book here, I decided to put down some of my core principles of natural horse, natural horsemanship, which is one of the pillars, right? Yeah. And, um, and so you might want to look at that at some point. And is, is that uh, your new book that you're, is that in the yeah, new uh, this, this no, this is one that I've uh, that I've just it's, I already put it out there this okay. year. Uh, the horse trek is, is a different one, but it's, okay. it's a photograph of me on my horse there, the Pinto, and and uh, me during the nineteen in the during the late seventies, nineteen seventies. No whip, no spurs, no bit, just a sheepskin covered noseband on a bosal I made myself, <laughs> and like some of my rules of of natural horsemanship. Right. And uh, so. Choose a horse that clearly likes you and you like them. Otherwise, change partners. Okay. You're so right. They do choose right. each other and they yeah. choose you, don't they? But you can build a connection with a horse if you're still enough. If you empty the mind enough and spend time lowering your energy, you can create a connection with any horse, but you have to take the time. And I think that's something that people don't do. They don't have time. Everyone's rushing around, running around in this 3D reality. And if we just took five minutes and just spent time with them and just be still and listen, the connection can be founded like friendships. It's a beautiful connection, like Avatar. Oh, when they connect oh, with the yeah. animals. Oh, yes, pluck my it's hair similar. in. It's similar. You connect using the solar plexus and you connect with them. I must in the wild, in the wild, 
Yeah. And this is where this statement I just made comes from. Yeah. They are very, very particular about who they want to be with. <laughs> and uh, the, the mayors are very particular about who they want to hang out with. And uh, and and they're they also they're very picky about who they want to mate with, and the and the alpha, the breeding stallions, and their their favorite mare. Okay, they 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 uh, they bond for life. Aww. It's a very very caring, loving relationship. Like soulmates. Right, so and uh, and so the the daughters they leave to go off with to find their find their man, <laughs> and and, uh, and they're real picky. They won't just go with anyone. No. So uh, so relationships uh, among horses are uh, they may not. I don't like the horse. I don't like that one over there. I, I don't want to hang out with them. Get rid of them. So they're they're picky. Mm. So. Um, and while we can get along, especially if we're going to do trimming, uh, that's where sequencing comes in. Sequencing uh, is, a, is a way to relate to the horse while you're trimming that enables you to uh, sort of tie into the natural gait complex, I call it, and into the psychology of the animal to work together to, to through, the, through, the, through the trimming process, mm -hmm. establishing beta and alpha relationships together and uh, working together, uh, being good to the horse, listening to the horse, uh, all these different things that are going on. So yes, in that, in, that, in that respect, I think we have a responsibility to, to, to understand these animals. They're sentient beings. They, they, feeling is very, very important to them. <clears throat> so, uh, and we want we want to have a good respectful relationship with horses, whichever horse they are. But if you got a horse that likes you for whatever, like a dog likes someone, they go sit with them. They, <laughs> I like I like that person, yeah. you know. And they're gonna they're gonna be very responsive to you. They will go if you're good to them. They will they will work with you much yeah. more. The 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 alpha horse is is rare in domestication. There, uh, there's well, there's relative dominance all across the horse world. The 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 monarch mentality and the lead mare mentality is very very, uh, very special, very unique, and not widespread. Mm. So the we so I always look for the alpha horses when I'm trimming horses, because they will require a different sort of relationship than a beta a beta horse that's just looking for their alpha, as I call it. <laughs> so once I make that distinction and, and the same thing with the, the alpha mare, she's going to, you know, she's going to uh, have her idiosyncrasies. And uh, so anyway, that's, these are things that I, I bring into play based on my understanding of wild horses when I, when I work with them. And uh, I get along good with horses as, as a result. <laughs> mutual respect, isn't it? It's a mutual respect. Absolutely. So important. Huh? Mm. The, the idea of natural horsemanship, as I see, is a big discussion in its own right. Yeah. And, and we have them. They're, they're kind of rare in the, in the horse world, as I call it. They're, I've seen them. They're usually unknown. No one knows anything about them. 
and they have sort of cross-linked. There's a like a uh, uh, a connection, this unique connection with the animal, and they nothing is through force. Um, they they figured it out, and uh, and so uh, I would like to see those people to be to come forward somehow well, to teach others. This yeah. is a call out to so these people. It, it's also um, when you when when I think about when you're talking, I was thinking like that every human I think has some kind of is in awe of horses when we watch them running along a beach with tail and nostrils flaring and galloping but then we're presented with them associated still with in arenas being doing dressage or in the movie war horse as they were used in the war and the emotional connection that that was there but still in farming or still as a horse you know, tethered up or covered in equipment, but there are so many other things. I mean, the the Native American, the the way that they treated the animals and the way that they, they didn't use all that equipment and yet the horses were ridden and all of those the things were there. Connection. The connection you're talking about. And I, from my own experience sometimes as well, I rock up at the paddock. I mean, yes, they know my routine. I come up there and I'm going to do <laughs> right. They Here watch me. She, they watch the buckets. They know she's right. going to They know you're coming. Right. They all trot down the paddock in their line and then they all stand they there in their down. place to be fed and, <laughs> and they watch me. And then other times I might be, I mean, I might be on my phone or something and suddenly I turn around, they're all standing behind me. They're all standing with me or some, it was really cold in the winter and I was standing in front of um, one horse called Sea Biscuit, and I snuggled up to his front and he just stood there with me mm. for about 10 minutes and keeping me warm. And um, some, I, mean, I, I don't ride horses anymore. I don't, I've, I've gone there. I don't want to fall off and break any more bones or anything. So to me, they are my friends and um to have that kind of, not me personally, but I know there are people that have those connections on such a, um, a way that you could possibly make movies. And you know, like the, there's horse TV and countrywide and all those things. And they always put on the same old people, Pat Pirelli or Bron Monty Roberts. And they're always just talking about how to make a horse go in circles or bow or whatever. But to have that, um, maybe something on Netflix even. Stories of Stories connection. of connection or your mm. story even um, to be going on something like Netflix mm. um, with you, you know, whatever, um, something that your it journey. would be, it would be yeah. absolutely, so many people would be interested in that. To I grab them would. emotionally. To grab, to grab to, that. I think that's the trigger for women to make the change yeah. and to want to educate themselves yeah. and make that change. You only have to put some emotional music on with it. And, and you've got everybody. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> okay. uh, along those lines, um, the, uh, the uh, Jill, I mentioned her earlier, she... Uh, came out of the entertainment industry and uh, and she's still in it. And we, we've had this discussion about sort of bringing uh, Paddock Paradise into maybe uh, into a, um, into the public view, 
Yes. A movie. And, and so, yes. and so she and, okay. so, and maybe like a TV series, of some sort. So, yes. uh, so yeah. I think that that's, you know, that's a possibility because it is sort of a, uh, a revolutionary thing that's trying to have, it is happening right yes. all around the world, yes. all over the place. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, the again, we're talking about a model again that people can relate to. Mm. You know, uh, young girls should see this stuff. It sort That's of shapes absolutely. the teach the little girls that want the pony, and then educate them from that age because they are the future. Yeah. Yes, yeah. very, very, very important. And I'd like to see this while I'm still alive on the planet, you know. <laughs> well, the time for change is now. If yeah. there's any time, it's now. This year, going forward, there are so many monumental changes occurring on this planet, on uh, Earth level, on a galactic level. Oh, you know, yet it's like the time is now. It's happening now. So you are a pioneer for this and we will be your spokespeople. We will spread this podcast and scream it from Good. the hilltops because this is the start. Yeah. This is the pinnacle point. This is the turning point. It's happening. I think that's absolutely amazing that Jill is in the entertainment business. That's no coincidence. <laughs> that yes. is no coincidence. That is just perfect. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, there's, it's, uh, you know, Hollywood's a complicated place. Oh, and, yes. uh, if it happens, if something like that happens, then it this be that much easier to um, bring NHC mm. in, into, into the end of the world. Um, and, and we have this great thing to point to out of the Great Basin. Mm. thousands of horses that are uh that are beautiful healthy yeah. um they they have a story to tell mm. you know and uh, <laughs> has it ever been studied like how how what's their average lifespan of the wild horses in the basin the it's a bit controversial uh when i was in the blm corrals doing the the hoof studies mm. uh there would be uh, veterinarians, BLM vets, uh, contract vets who would, uh, you know, age them. Mm. And so uh, I remember <clears throat> talking with one of the vets. We were out there with a horse uh, and in the corral. And uh, I, I sort of asked, what do you think about the, the teeth on these? Or did they have any problems with the teeth? And he looked at me and says, they have none. They have no problems. Wow. Oh, okay. And that's what I'd seen too, looking in there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the why do why why are the the oldest ones all the same age twenty? And that's that's all you write down. He says, well, because that's all we are able to do. <laughs> and I said, I've talked with ranchers out there. There's wild horses roaming out there in the 40s and 50s. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, the fact that one of my clients, when I was in Los Angeles, uh, had a draft horse and he was uh, he just turned 50. <gasps> and and so I said, why are you so healthy? He says, that's because the mares chase him all over the place. <laughs> 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 and, and sure enough, 
they they're chasing after him and he's running for his life you know and uh keep him fit there you go <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret to life right there <laughs> let your mare chase you around the garden that's, that's right yeah that's, I, I listen to the females carefully let me tell you and uh so um you know it's it's a big world a big discussion and uh we, we're just sort of moving along the surface of it can we just ask you um a little bit about your um your book zoo paradise um because you do kind of you start to look at other animals once you start to understand the needs and the freedom of these animals compared to elephants and the like they're not even half the size um what what can you tell us about your your inspiration for writing that book um, well, in the book, I sort of explain <clears throat> a little bit about myself when I was very young and I, I found the close confinement of these wild animals to be very, uh, distressing for them and for me. So it was always sort of in me. And then, uh, one day, uh, while I was giving a clinic in near St. Louis, I went out to the St. Louis Zoo just to see what they were doing. And <clears throat> there was this orangutan. Uh, he was sitting towards the front. They had like a glass uh, panels to the front. And he was laying in a ball, like a, he wrapped, he sort of curled himself into this. So you're just looking at this fur. And, and so I looked down, I got down my knees and I looked real close in there. And I saw back inside, there's like a hole with two eyes staring out at me. Oh. And he was in this incredible state of depression. And so that's when I began to write Zoo Paradise. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, so, and then what do we begin to see? What I call repeating patterns in nature. And we see all these animals tracking, pathing elephants zebras uh and other animals use those paths to get here and there it's uh so there's only one thing to do and that was to write the book and see if maybe eyes will open yeah. to provide for a, a, an alternative yeah. so that it's not humans walking around looking at animals but animals moving as they would naturally and humans can either walk alongside them or observe them from platforms or whatever. And, uh, and suddenly the dynamic changes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's sort of the, does that answer your question? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And okay. I, I can envision that set up easily that that's, make common sense actually to actually be able to do that i mean it is going back to if we go if we could just go really silly here and go right back to the dawn of time if you look at the stories you know we're not talking religion we're talking like um the story of the creation of um earth and how you know there was a, a time and space called Lemuria and planet earth itself actually was like this utopian world where the animals and the humans lived alongside each other where they lived in harmony and they didn't kill each other or eat each other and there was a time on this earth that that was 
real and we're coming back to that that we are actually going full circle and coming back to that and interestingly I used to work in a zoo when I was in my 20s and I saw similar to what you would have seen firsthand the the, the pain that I experienced working there was so great that I had to leave but I I felt that if I could at least help one of the animals or do something or provide some sort of relief for them that I'd done my bit but it was never enough and I remember a time where there was a very sick parrot and we had to do these awful parrot shows and it was in a cage and I just sat with the parrot and took the time and the care and I saw that there was no love there there was no it's just like you say just soulless there was just nothing there and just I just sat with the parrot and I didn't do a lot of energy work then I was very new to it and sent this little parrot love and apparently overnight it got better and it you know carried on but it wasn't a life at all so going back to you know this this whole idea of the re-education and the rethinking and the pioneering and the dreaming let's do it is a big dream I honestly think that that's going to happen in this lifetime I really truly feel that this is the time it doesn't feel like it right now but as the timelines start to shift, I feel we truly are going to get to that point. And it will be in your lifetime, Jamie. So you need to stick around for this. Okay. Okay. And I'm Michelle, waiting. Got another like 80 years to go yet. Years. So you can't go yet. We're going to see this. So make sure yeah. you have your diet and your exercise every day. And yeah, make sure I, the mayor chases you round and round. Make sure they chase you round the garden. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a tourist. I stick to my routine. And... Uh, so yeah, I do 500 push-ups every other morning. Wow, impressive! That's gold. Yeah. That impressive. is right there. Yeah, it's really simple too. I, I, I'm going to write this exercise program for people that are <clears throat> my age. It takes a bit. I need my calculator to figure out my age. You see, it's <laughs> the um, the things you can do um, to be healthy, and uh, uh, instead of where you've got some vitality and you got muscles and uh, you know, you're, you, you're active, you know, in your head too, both. So I thought I, I should go ahead and write a little, I thought would well, be exercise. It's my exercise program for seniors, but I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm looking at people in their twenties that, that need it. <laughs> you know, it's like, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, what you're saying um, I said to um, someone the other day, I said, I, I didn't go down the barefoot trimming because it's really hard work <laughs> and I couldn't and earn old. enough money and I'm too old. And um, frail and, and tiny. And then someone said to me, actually, no, you're just lazy. <laughs> actually, you could yeah. build that muscle and have a strong back just like anybody else, but you're lazy, which is really true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you, it is hard work, you know. It is, it is. But yeah, it'll be interesting for you to do that as well because you mentioned in your um, the guide to natural dental care, which is not actually aimed at horses, it's aimed at humans. You mentioned yes. a little bit about the diet and exercise in that book as well. And there's some real key um, information in there. So not only helping us with the ideas for the horses, we're helping us for the humans as well. So definitely check the Guard Your Teeth, why the dental industry fails us a guide yes. to natural dental care because that is a very interesting read <laughs> a, a dental group of, of dentists they bought a bunch of copies 
apparently they're they've taken some of it in a discussion uh i think that's the same thing the the we were walking around in an inflammatory state due to diet and lifestyle issues what have you and so so we're infected our bodies are infected mm -hmm. and uh and just like so it's sort of laminitis of the human yeah you know it manifests itself in diabetes and tooth decay and uh cancer and, and different things so i'm a, so i thought oh, i'm gonna write that book put it out there and uh and i'm in fact i'm gonna update it before too long there's there's some more sort of disturbing things that are that scientists want want people to do yes uh that uh i think is kind of the wrong way to go to say the least so i thought yeah. i'll just go ahead and uh update the book a little bit and uh mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going to be a full-time author, aren't you? <laughs> you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm. I'm having fun writing. It's not easy work. Right. Let me tell you, it is not. It's easier to trim a horse than write a book. Okay. <laughs> I bet. I bet you could do that with your eyes closed. But this is, this is just as important to all of us for us to have everything that you understand and and give us this, so we can learn. Um, yeah, there are there are so many things we need to learn. And we do. I mean, we personally, me personally, I do understand um, that the way that um, medics and vets work with just looking at pathology is not the way to health. It never has. Been. Right. Right. We know that we the vets we, don't even ask diet. No, you take your animal don't. to the vet. The doctor doesn't ask what's no, your diet. They don't. Like, come on, we know this is about what prescriptions and big pharma, but yeah. that is a whole different yeah. conversation. So there was an amazing the thing that turned us around was in the 1990s. There was this um cassette tape that was being passed around almost in secret, actually. <laughs> uh, you may have heard it. It was called Dead Doctors Don't Lie. And it was by, can you remember? It was by a vet, actually. He was a vet. And he did all this research on dead zoo animals. Mm -hmm. And on all the dead zoo animals that he found and all the deformities that were found at birth, he put it down to mineral deficiency. And he then started saying that the cause of all disease in humans and mammals here right now was the decline of minerals in the soils and um that that we yeah, could all be cured with taking minerals and things there was some amazing information in there and it was such a turning point for me and my family to understand that the way that we ate and the way that we were to supplement if we weren't going to be able to get that nutritional food anymore um to actually help prevent some of those things and then since then there's been so many other people that have come forward that have said well, you know, like diabetes is this. Yeah, and, Dr. Robert you know, Young. And, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Robert Young and uh, the weak belly man, the, the American William doctor, Davis. William Davis, saying that the grains are the things that are making us ill. You only have to look at bread and GMOs. Um, all of those things. So we are so want to know more and more about that. Um, so anything that you put forward in, in this dental book, we even met a guy who actually was um, putting out there, he's gone to Australia now. He was a dentist here saying that most of the root cause of heart disease was through the infections that were going on in the teeth. And the mercury amount. And the mercury and stuff. And we were trying to find yes. a dentist that is so hard to find a dentist that doesn't want to fill your mouth with amalgam. <laughs> you have to beg them to put ceramic in if your teeth Yeah, the, 
the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the tooth has uh, the capacity to protect itself, but the regimens of tooth care and dental care destroy that barrier. Yeah. So, and so, so this is another thing I want to <clears throat> reemphasize in the book that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, that's why, that's why I looked at the research on paleo humans where they had, uh, this barrier was very much in place and there was no, there were no dental caries, no gum disease. And so the, you know, what the heck were they doing it was how they ate. And the fact that they didn't do things that people are told to do, like going to the dentist who then removes, they remove the barrier. And uh, as standard practice, that opens up the enamel to uh, uh, acidification and and then uh, infection, right down into the uh, into the dermal structure below. So, but this is something that the, this is something we could all do about, you know. Uh, but you know, the money is in pathology, just yeah. like in in the veterinary world, and and that there needs to be an inversion there that the money should be in in vitality and in health absolutely including our mouths <laughs> yeah. so what do you think about horse dentists traditional horse dentistry and that kind of world Where do they I, I, I think it's harmful mm. because it's the same thing if you're going to remove the uh, the natural barrier that would grow there it's, it's, the solution is simple and I'm imposing upon the veterinarians in our organization to to take the right step and go into the uh, go into the into the HMAs and into the corrals and and, and look at the teeth and uh, take samples, um, do the research that can be done, and I believe that will revolutionize how we take care of. Uh, uh, horses teeth in the world today well I guess we want to just wrap up because as we know a lot of the information we will be really you know kind of saying to the listeners please you know reach out and um, go to the websites and look at purchasing the actual bare minimum would be the natural horse and the paddock paradise the um, guide to the natural boarding system is going to be the, the the number one if they're wanting to make any changes to their horse if you're listening to this and you have a horse or you're looking at getting a horse start off with that and get into the understanding of the research that Jamie has done and really look at what the basic pillars and even the training that he offers because you know as he said it's now done online so you can educate yourself first so that you don't have the pain of the problems of the laminitis of this colic of these you know having the vet say put it down it's just so unnecessary now because horses are they're very simple and the needs are so simple, but you have to meet their basic needs first. And it's this is about thriving. This is not about surviving. We're done with just having animals that are barely surviving. It's not good enough anymore. This is this is the time now to do this properly. So I urge anyone that's listening to, to take that step, to reach out to Jamie, to reach out 
and head to, I mean, I'm going to pop all the links at the bottom. So the most important one is obviously the jamiejackson.com is your main website where all of the links are for purchasing your books. And then you've got the training, which is, is that your aanhcp.net? They want to go to uh, ISNHCP, which is the uh, training program, ISNHCP.net. Perfect. Thank you. There's also a Paddock Paradise website that uh, has been put together, paddockparadise.net, I guess, .com, both. The book is being put into different, has been translated to, I think, think nine different languages at this point. And uh, so... That's a good sort of place to go to see where people can maybe find something in their own language, right? Instead mm-hmm. of being just English. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any other questions for Jamie before we wrap um, up? Well, I could keep you here all night, but I won't. <laughs> we'll <laughs> let you get on with your day. Is there no, anything? I, 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 I've, I've enjoyed the, uh, I've enjoyed this very much. This sort of, kind of my element, you know, mm-hmm. talking, exchanging back and forth i think uh i like doing this so maybe again in the future at some point we can have another talk about some facet of uh, of all these different things Uh, yeah but this has been amazing for me thank you so much for your time it's really really appreciated thank you both again okay okay bye Bye now Bye. bye